Hello there, Brian. Bob Stoops here saying hi. And uh, listen, I know you've had a tough couple of uh, two, three years there, but the good news is your family still supports you, buddy, especially your dad. He wants you to know that. But uh, and even though everyone else seems to be against you, sometimes the best advice is to break free from the family business, man. Go do what you got to do. So uh, anyhow, all the best to you and a big boomer sooner and good luck. That is perhaps the funniest cameo ever recorded. That is former Oklahoma coach Bob Stoops. More importantly, Iowa alum Bob Stoops wishing someone named Brian a little bit of good luck as he's having a tough time, maybe considering leaving the family business. Although, if you're an Iowa fan, you're already dying from laughter. You know what this is. For those who don't know, Cameo is a video service where celebrities, major to minor, will personalize a greeting for you or your friend for a fee. Some diabolical Iowa fan with at least $250 to spend sent a script to Iowa alum Bob Stoops and had him read it about some poor schlep named Brian whose dad really supports him, but maybe Brian should leave the family business. Again, the Iowa fans know exactly what this is about. If you need a little refresher, I'll give it to you. Brian Ference is the offensive coordinator at Iowa. He has not done a particularly great job as Iowa's offensive coordinator. This year, he's done a historically terrible job as Iowa's offensive coordinator and Kirk Ferentz notice the same last name. Well, that's Brian's dad. He's Iowa's head coach and he's the one who made Brian, the offensive coordinator and has continued to employ Brian as the offensive coordinator. This Iowa fan has now made one of the highest profile Iowa alums suggest that Brian should leave the family business. I think there's a lot of Iowa alums who feel that way, but I'm not sure Bob Soups does, but he recorded a cameo, so it's out there for the world to see. And to the Iowa fan who coughed up hard-earned money and wrote that script and sent it away and paid the money and hoped Bob Soups would say it, bravo, you are what college football is all about. And of course, it's Tuesday, so we have our Iowa beat writer, Scott Docterman, joining myself and Ari Wasserman. So we're going to get deep into this. When we recorded this, this cameo had not appeared. So I had to make sure you got to hear it because it is germane to the discussion that Scott and Ari and I have. Now, we're not just picking on Iowa today. There's another fan base we found to rope into this thing. And and it's not your fault, obviously, but you are suffering along with the Iowa fans, Texas A&M fans. I know how you feel. You watched that offense on Saturday and that lost Appalachian State, and you're thinking, Oh, good Lord, what happens next if this offense doesn't get better? And it's a, it's a pretty terrifying prospect. We're going to talk about all of that. Iowa, Texas A&M, and offensive ineptitude on today's Andy Staples Show. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show presented by Sling. I am joined by Ari Wasserman and a salty Scott Docterman. Let, gentlemen, let's take a look at Scott Docterman talking to the folks today. Scott has uh, been subject to quite a few complaints. Scott covers Iowa for us as his day job, but he obviously can talk about anything. But he has been getting complained to by people as if he has some control over 
who was employed as Iowa's offensive coordinator, uh, he was told, nobody is interested in watching the Hawkeyes right now. This was, by the way, Scott, this was after you tweeted out when the Rutgers game will kick off in a week and a half. So nobody's interested in watching the Hawkeyes right now until Brian Ferentz is can. This team is doomed. And Scott says, with such empathy here, then don't watch. I don't give a shit. Scott, <laughs> how are you? how are you holding up dealing with all the complaints as if you have the power to hire, to fire Brian Ferentz and then bring in someone else to run Iowa's offense. I, I'm, I'm truly blessed. You know, I, the, it hashtag blessed. No, I, you know, for years and years and years, I felt like the community bartender come here with your grievances. You complain about Fran McCaffrey's defense. You complain about Kirk Ferentz's offense. And why do we suck? Why do we, blah, blah. and there are times I just kind of listen. I mop it up. I draw, I give him a tab. You know, here's a, here's a 12 ouncer. And then there are days it's like, I'm, I'm sick of hearing this. Just shut up. It's been a year this last nine days. What are you coming to me for? All I'm giving you is the time of the kickoff and you're bitching about Brian Ferentz. Well, I've heard, Thousands of complaints. I mean, my phone was buzzing like it was like a freaking uh, election scam or something, you know, the other day. It was and I, I know I'm watching it, too, but it's it just it's amazing. That's just the thing going. that I have the hardest time with, Andy. Nobody has any empathy for Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's that they think Scott can do something about it. But it, there's something to living in the town because I got a lot of that during the Florida Kentucky game on Saturday and I'm at the game. I'm covering it. And my phone is just because obviously I went to Florida. I have lots of friends who root for Florida and they want to just they want to just complain. And I'm like, I don't know what you want me to tell you. First of all, I'm working. Second of all, I cannot make Anthony Richardson react differently to this defense. I just can't. Uh, I can't do anything with this offense. And, and right now, I mean, they're the worst in the nation by 73.7 yards per game. And I can't switch the quarterback. I can't and throw that, it and catch it too. That's total offense. You know, that's that's not even a stat we even use anymore. No. The yards per play is just miserable. It's worst in the country there too by like half a yard. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when I'm getting calls from, you know, texts from family, from friends, people in the stadium, out of the stadium, what's going on? Why won't they switch quarterbacks? I'm like, I will ask after the game. And that was the first question I asked. And, you know, and of course people here kind of say, well, you guys aren't asking the tough enough questions. They think it's like a Rocky Five press conference. Every everybody you know? thinks that you're going to get the Mike Wallace on 60 yeah. Minutes breaking the person down when they start crying. They're like, yes, I did steal nuclear secrets and sell them to the Pakistani government. I'm so I'm sorry. Please don't throw me in jail for too long. That all that never happens except yeah. on 60 Minutes. Right. Or, or, you know, Rocky five is the one I come back to where the, you know, the, the boxing journalists are standing up pointing at union Kane. You've never fought anybody like Rocky Balboa. Like I'm going to stand up to Kirk Ferentz and say, why aren't you playing him? You know, but that's what they want. They're mad. So they're coming after me because I'm the only ones available. I have to come out and say it because I said on the podcast last week that I liked Iowa in the over. (laughs) And I got to tell you when it was seven, nothing real early, I was just like, wow, here we go, baby off to the races. And then I went on living my life, and then I checked back in, and I was like, oh, boy. Never a doubt. I had a lot of doubts the rest of the, <laughs> throughout the rest of the games, but never a doubt on that one. Uh, let's. I, I did uh, call up the, the yards per play stats. Uh, so Iowa is 
dead last in the country at 2.8 yards per play, which is absolutely pathetic. Number 130, the penultimate <laughs> yards per play team. I just like saying penultimate. UMass. <laughs> UMass is half a yard better than Iowa at moving the football per play. Uh, at this point, it's it's so painful to watch it in the last two weeks. I, I go, you know, Ari used to cover Ohio State, and it's just up and down the field. Covering this is, uh, I don't know how to explain it after a while. And you know, when they have it, they had an interception at midfield. Uh, midfield, well, yeah, midfield. I guess we call it that. And uh, the quarterback just starts like throwing his hands down after he after he caught it because he fell. And it was, and it made it look like he almost lost the ball or something, but it wasn't that. It was because he knew that was the only way they could score, and uh, he fell down. So that's it's truthfully, I mean, it, it, they had two blocked punts. The, the hardest like, part about this whole thing, guys, and I think that I can understand why. I mean, obviously, anybody can understand why Iowa fans would be upset, but it isn't just that they can't score. It's the waste of the type of defense that you could have right. to win a lot. Like, it's right. not if, just. If, yeah, if they you, had you if they had a an average defense, just average, and of course they'd lose every game. But if they had an average defense, at least you just understand. But the fact is, they have an elite defense. They're going to win some of these games, and it's going to encourage them to not do anything about this. Yeah. I mean, they're fifth in the country in, in yards in yards per play allowed, and and so they were on the field. God, it felt like forty minutes the other day. They blocked two punts inside Iowa State's 20-yard line, and yet they scored one touchdown, two plays into the game, and they fumbled, uh, fullback fumbles at the one-yard or one-inch line. And uh, they, <laughs> so yes, it's it's frustrating for everybody to see because if they even had a modest offense, they'd be 2-0, and and they'd be uh, probably the, the favorite in the West. I wonder if, I was just going to ask you, and it's funny you said that, Scott, but what would Iowa's offense have to be ranked to be a uh, shoe-in to win the Big Ten West this year? Probably about 80. You know, Think about I, that. Yeah. Well, and, and here's another way to look at it. Iowa must run three plays to equal one Maryland or one USC play. Three. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they've actually, the other day, they ran three different personnel groupings. None of them included three wide receivers because they only have one scholarship wide receiver available. The other one has equaled his number of catches that left. Charlie Jones has 21 catches so far in two games. He had 21 catches all last year. Well, so that's quite the indictment on what this offense doesn't do when you have personnel like that and you let it get away. Now, if you're an Iowa fan, I think the only course of action here, and it might sound blasphemous, but is to just continue to hope for horrid results because that's the only way that can force the change that's necessary. Because that's what Andy said that that kind of rung true. And it's like, you know, covering Ohio State and covering Iowa are two different beats. But, you know, it took, I felt like a lot of times uh, at Ohio State that it took something disastrous to happen for them to make a change that was necessary. And it kind of sounds like the same exact thing here. And that disaster has probably or arguably already happened. But you don't want them to fake their way into eight or nine wins and then the coaching staff to think that they are okay with this. It has to get to a point where it's so utterly embarrassing and so completely inexcusable, which it seems like it hasn't gotten to yet, for them to have to make a move in order to try to get this done. Because it's just like to me, you know, you're wasting a team uh, that actually has a chance to win 
big. Win big. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I I, I want to bring another fan base into this, by the way, because I feel like there's another fan base that can commiserate because I don't want people to think we're just picking on Iowa here. But there's another fan base that can commiserate with a pathetic offense that should be better and that there's a coach, a head coach, who's historically been pretty stubborn, and he has a contract that makes sure he will never be fired. Texas A&M. Texas A&M's offense was pitiful against Appalachian State. Remember, North Carolina's offense, now, North Carolina scored one special team touchdown, but North Carolina's offense scored eight touchdowns against Appalachian State. Texas A&M's offense scored one. They also had a special teams touchdown. So Texas A&M is about to play Miami this week at home. They will then play Arkansas at a neutral site. They will then go on the road to Starkville and play Mississippi State. They will then go to Tuscaloosa and play Alabama. I am not exaggerating when I tell you that one in five feels like a real possibility if the offense they put on the field against Appalachian State shows up at any of those games. If Iowa and Texas A&M played each other, would it have to come with a Surgeon General warning? <laughs> yes. This game, well, I don't know if it, it well, it, if you could replace Ambien. It could be like a chemical-free version of Ambien. What would the over-under of a Texas A&M-Iowa game be? Three and a half? <laughs> yeah. Points? Nobody's scoring. <laughs> yeah. No, because so, no, there would be defensive scores. Like... One of those Texas A&M freshmen would probably rip Spencer Petrus in half. Because that's the thing that's so remarkable about it is that defensive scores are supposed to be really hard. Yeah. Like the fact that Iowa's defense blocks two punts and creates these opportunities on top of it. Like last year when they got, what were they last year, Scott? 8-0 at one point? There were 6-0. 6-0? Yeah, they had 25 interceptions was the most since I think Ohio State in 14. Like Iowa, Iowa was like, Constantly putting their offense like their the I feel like the average starting point for Iowa's offense last year through those six games was like at the fifty. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's not just like playing good defense and keeping teams from scoring; it's the creation of opportunities through well, yeah. defensive touchdowns and blocked punts and special teams. That it's like so remarkable to create those opportunities. They're not supposed to happen so easily, and Iowa is so good at defense that it makes them seem like they're expected every game because the offense can't move the football. And it's like. You're not supposed to block a punt in every game or intercept the ball inside the 20 in every game or give your team a starting spot at the 30-yard line in every game, and they do it in every game. So you guys mentioned time of possession. Iowa's time of possession, they're number 118 in the country. Now, that's not last, but a lot of the teams below them do not intend to keep the ball for very long. Like Ole Miss is last. Ole Miss scores fast and gives the ball back. Oklahoma is number 129. They score fast and give the ball back. But Iowa averages 25 minutes and 27 seconds of possession time in two games. And that's really because their defense gets the ball back pretty quick. Texas A&M, even worse. (laughs) And they don't really run an up-tempo offense either. They're not trying to get the ball back. 
25 minutes and 27 seconds a game. So, oh, I'm sorry, Iowa's 25-57. So they get, they've kept it 30 seconds longer per game than Texas A&M. But that is so many three and outs, or you get one first down and then you go three and out. Well, because I read the stat, and I don't know if this is correct, Andy, if you're looking at the stats page right now, but that Appalachian State had the ball for 40 minutes in the A&M game this weekend. Um, sounds about right. Which is a lot of a lot of possession time. And like Iowa, I would like to like see the comparison of offensive plays ran between Iowa and Texas A&M. Because oh, I, I can like pull that up right now. Iowa, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Iowa probably had a ton of plays. It's like you can have a, a pretty high possession rate if you're getting, if you're running the ball as much as they do and the clock is running when you have the ball. It's like, what about the teams that either score very quickly or three and out in 17 seconds because they ran three incomplete passes? Um, and if they keep I, getting the I, I ball back. I got those back, numbers for you. Are you is ready? It, is it as lopsided as I think it would be? <laughs> oh, yeah. So <laughs> I, Iowa ranks number 128 in plays run with 113. For for perspective, Illinois has run the most plays at 241. <laughs> so Iowa, but, but Iowa is ahead of Texas A&M which is dead-ass last in the country at number of plays run at 105. Yes, that's what I thought. Well, Illinois does have three games, so... Uh, that That's that true. That's that true. I'm not I'm not looking at plays per game. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. That, right. All of these are three. So the, of the teams that have only played two games, the one that has run the most plays is Northwestern at 179. So almost 90 plays a game. Well, they got to play Nebraska, so that doesn't count. Well, (laughs) funny that you mentioned that because two spots below them, Georgia Southern. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. What what a great Music City Bowl that could be between Iowa and A&M if they both get to six wins. It would be the exact opposite of last year's Music City Bowl, which was Purdue-Tennessee throwing touchdown pass after touchdown pass. Am I a sicko for wanting to watch that? Yes. And, and not only that, what a perfect opportunity for somebody like, let's say, Eric Church to go there and write a country ballad watching that game. Well, he's going to have plenty of time between punts. <laughs> what is it? What is the theme of that ballad? Oh, my Punting God. is winning. <laughs> I think well, it might be like a drive slow rendition of like, take your time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, take I mean, your time. Take yeah. your time's a good one. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Where's Johnny Moxon when you need him? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I do think that like the thing with Iowa, too, is that you, you have to expect it a little bit. Um, I feel like the A&M game was way worse. Uh, Because they got they got physically manhandled by a team that, you know, you read the stat. I I think that uh, last year, A and M signed five five star or eight five star prospects, and I think that Appalachian State has only signed six top one thousand players in the last six years. (laughs) Unbelievable! And like for them to get like manhandled the way that they did, I mean, forty minutes of possession time in a game. You know, I was talking to Antonio Morales earlier. Get, it, it wasn't even getting manhandled. It's they kept giving it back. It was it was three and out, three and out, three and out. And so what's the what's the thing with with AM? Because I keep hearing and seeing that, you know, people are making fun of Jimbo and, and all the stuff, but like what is it schematically about Texas AM's offense that's archaic or old? Well, it's not that it's old, it's that Jimbo's pretty stubborn about it. And and it's like we talked about last week with Sorry, my phone is ringing. I am I am recording this from my truck, by the way. Uh for for those who don't know. It is uh 
if you're watching the video, you're like, what the hell? Why is Andy in a truck? It's not a truck. Well, it is. It, it's, it's a, a raptor. super truck, but it's a truck. Uh, but no, I, I, I have a speaking engagement in Orlando. And so I wanted to make sure we got the pod. And sure enough, I can do video from here, which, I mean, we're going to have some incredible on-location podcasts if, this, if I can just fire up from anywhere. And, and this gives yeah, me Yeah, I mean, I can't even make a normal, a normal phone call with my T-Mobile uh, in my <laughs> house without being connected to Wi-Fi. So I'm kind of jealous of what you have going on there, Andy. So he- here's the deal. A&M's offense is not that archaic. Jimbo did add some, like when he went to Texas A&M, he did add some like read option type stuff. Texasified it a little bit. But it's like we talked about last week, Ari. The thing that Aaron Murray told me that I can never now unsee, the the way the quarterbacks carry the ball while they're in the pocket, it's very robotic and they're required to do it. And it just it doesn't look comfortable. Haynes King does not look comfortable running that offense. Now, if only Texas A&M had a quarterback who has played lots of games in the SEC, who's gone to Gainesville and won a game that they weren't supposed to win, who's, I don't know, run a two-minute drill to beat Texas A&M. Like, if only they had a quarterback who could do that. Yeah, That seems it- like someone you might want to try. Yeah, so I, I know that you're going to be writing a column about this, I think. But um, so I went to a uh, Under Armour recruiting camp in the Dallas area a few months ago, and I talked to a young man named John Tay Cook. Mm-hmm. And John Tay Cook is a uh, high-end four-star prospect who goes to, um, I believe, DeSoto High School in the Dallas area. And he was, at the time, uncommitted in considering Texas A&M in Texas and you know, he was the t- the type of, you know, eccentric young man that I admire who, you know, went to Texas on a visit and like asked around and said, all I saw is swimming trophies in here. And like that went viral and everybody was laughing because it was true. And then he also made the, the comment earlier on before committing that. Um, and here's the exact quote. Here's the difference between Texas and Texas A&M. Right now, Texas has the scheme, but not the players. And A&M has the players, but not the scheme. Um, and you might have been able to put two and two together after uh, everything that you just heard, but he has since committed to Texas since Arch Manning got on board. And I think if you're a player, oh, and the best part about that is, is that Evan Stewart, the five-star receiver on Texas A&M's roster as a true freshman right now, retweeted that after the game, which is a obvious uh, cry out mm-hmm. for help. Now, um, the interesting thing about that is, is that if you're a five-star player and you want to play offense, what would you rather do? Would you go to the place that you don't believe has the scheme, or would you go to the place that doesn't have the players? I go. And with I, the, I go to the scheme because you the if scheme you're a player, because you're you the player. Play. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. So this is a very interesting time in in uh, Texas A and M's arc because I was very high on them in their ascension toward competing at the highest level, and now if you have disgruntled freshmen and you know people who aren't um, necessarily. Uh, you know, bought in in the program of the direction they're headed into. You got second guessing and recruiting now. It's like this is the type of thing that can kind of derail the, that ascension a little right. bit. Right, and and here's here's what I think needs to happen. And I'm not sure if it, this is not something that can be fixed right now. It, right now, you've just got to figure out what the best combination of players are, and and run what they're comfortable with. I, you know, whether you're, it's Haynes King or it's Max Johnson or it's Connor Wegman. Find some high percentage, high confidence passes to get the ball to Anaya Smith and Devon A. Chain. Let them do some stuff. Get them, get them the ball with some green around them, and they'll help you make things easier. Like make the offense easier on them. But you can't fix everything right now. What Jimbo Fisher needs to do is 
remember Nick Saban sent Lane Kiffin on that vision quest? Like, go all over the country, look at all these different offenses, figure out what you like about them, bring back the concepts that we can add to the offense. Jimbo needs to come to the come to the conclusion that what he's doing doesn't necessarily work that well. He needs to open himself up to new ideas. And this is, are we talked about this last week? What did Jimbo Fisher not take from Nick Saban? Well, the thing yeah, Jimbo we talked Fisher about didn't this. take from Nick Saban is adaptability. Mm-hmm. And so when Jimbo Fisher has a team go three and out, in Jimbo Fisher's mind, it's my players didn't execute the plays I called. If Nick Saban has a team going three and out over and over, his thing is let's call plays our players can execute better. Yeah, or come up with a place that puts them in a position that are that makes it a higher likelihood that they will execute, which I believe is what you just kind of said. But yeah, you know, it's just kind of a it's a it's a very weird paradox because usually when you have the players, that's still enough. You can just out athlete people, yes. correct? And yes. I and I watched you know seven years of football where that was the case. Uh, so you know you put yourself in this this viewing frame. And it's just kind of like, well, what needs to change? It's like, I don't know. A vision quest. Has anybody ever gone on a vision quest without taking mushrooms before? Lane Kiffin did. <laughs> Are we <laughs> sure? Although perhaps, perhaps the, the old Baylor offense was the mushrooms because that's that's what he wound up loving. Maybe that was the ayahuasca. Yeah, but I do I do point. like the idea of um, you know, doing everything that you can to take pieces of information from you know, they have all these coaching clinics and you know, all these discussions and you know, coaches are actually I've always really been fascinated about this in college football because on one hand, everybody in their programs are so dialed into keeping everything a secret and practices are closed. I had a a recruiting coordinator once tell me that they thought the phones in their recruiting offices were bugged. (laughs) Like it's just like it's very paranoia, paranoia driven game on one hand. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of clinics and sharing and visiting and, and inviting people onto campus to talk about to talk about football. And, and schemes and thoughts and philosophies. And it's like, there's always like that weird mixture between which one is it. And it's just like the best coaches in the country. I mean, Bill Belichick used to come to Ohio state and pick urban Meyer's brain about offense. You know, I mean, it's like the best coaches in the game, I think are not the best because they're the best. I think it's, they're the best because they're willing to absorb what makes other people great. Right. Um, and Jimbo and, doesn't have to scrap his whole offense. I'm right. just saying, Find some con- concepts that that will help you have a bigger menu to choose from when you run into problems like this, or allow yeah. you to better suit your scheme around what you have. There's that. That's the difference between Saban and Belichick and coaches like Jimbo or Ferentz or other ones who are very very stubborn and committed to their principles is that they that Belichick and Saban are self aware and understand in order to remain at the top they're going to have to change just. It doesn't have to be a lot, just a tweak here, a tweak there. And then, of course, they have the, the personnel to get it done. And uh, w- what you see when other people double down, and I think, Ari, you brought up a great point, the whole thought of the, the execution. Well, my players didn't execute. I hear that all the time. And it's about putting them in a position to succeed and making the most out of your offense. And, and sometimes it's, uh, you know, the scheme is to, to slow it down, not make it so complicated. And other times it's, you know, basketball coaches put the ball in the, in the best player's hands and let them go make a play. Football yeah. coaches wouldn't do that. And most of them won't do that in a million years because it yeah. takes the ball to their hands. If Andy knocked on my front door right now and said, Ari, I want you to come on a run with me. 
We're going to go eight miles. It's got to be 16 minutes a mile or whatever to cycle past pace. That's a, that's a slow mile. Wait, no, you go nine, what, do you go nine <laughs> minutes a mile? Uh, if we were going for eight, yeah, we'd, tr- we'd shoot for about nine-minute miles. Yeah. Okay, so nine-minute miles. 16-minute miles is, it would be my time. Mm-hmm. I was confused. Then he says, you know what? We're going to go eight miles right now. We're going to go nine minutes a mile. And then at the end of the mo- at the end of the time he finishes and I'm on mile two by the time he's like t- you know eating his and he chastises me for not being able to keep up with him it's like you're the asshole that made me do something you know that I'm not able to do like mm-hmm. put me on a situation where I can run one mile at a certain pace and build myself up towards that it's there the, was a, you know they always use the, the word install with offense right and sometimes yep. I feel like you know evol evolution as an offensive play caller an offense an offensive mind means small installations little by little you know well so there was a moment in 2020 it was the the kentucky tennessee game i almost threw my remote through the tv uh cole kublik was the the sideline reporter and and he had talked to jeremy pruitt the day before and and this is when jared garantano was just having a very i'm pretty sure this is the game i'm thinking of where he was having a very bad game he throwed thrown a couple picks and Cole does a, a sideline report, and then Cole knows exactly what he's saying here. Is this wasn't an accident? He's like, "Yeah, we were talking to Jeremy Pruitt yesterday, and he's telling us, you know, we make our quarterbacks play quarterback. Like they got to make all these reads and do all these things." And 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 Cole is is indicting Jeremy Pruitt, and he knows he's indicting Jeremy Pruitt. And I'm just sitting there like, I want to scream because I want to be like, "Then make it where he can." Do it easier. Make it easier for him to succeed. Why are you bragging about making it hard for him? But that was the mindset of Jeremy Pruitt, and you saw the results of that. Yeah. It's the same thing I I see here, and and that is the offense is incredibly complicated. I've sat through six hours of, of breakdowns, and my mind was just all over the place. And it's been 30 years since I played quarterback, so things have changed, but it's still very, very complicated. And I'm talking to a, a, you know, a backup quarterback last year. He's like, look, it takes at least a year and a half to learn what you need to do here. And then like two days later, I'm watching C.J. Stroud throw for 600 yards in the Rose Bowl, and I'm like, okay, th- this this is too much. You need to simplify this thing, especially for the results that you're getting. But Andy, yep. do you think there is some sort of, and I know that we can go on and on about this, but I'm happy is, to go on and on. Yeah, and, we, and we, we can, but I, like, is there a certain level of nervousness that you have to have as an A&M follower supporter that they couldn't just line up and ram the ball down their throats? Yes. Yes. You like, should be very nervous like sometimes like when scheme, when scheme falters, like we talked about in the past, they have enough talent on that team where they could run an I formation and just and pick up four yards of play on that team and just get first downs. The you know, at a certain point, you I would love pre- I would love to see a team do that. Like a team that is struggling offensively that just has better player. And look, Appalachian State's players are incredibly well coached. You couldn't yes. do this against them because they they'd stop it because they'd know what to do. But when you have just a physically overwhelming talent gap and Whatever it is isn't working. Like you said, line up in the I formation and just run a lead play every time, either into the A gap or into the B gap, left and right. And and so, like, it, at my high school, it would have been, like, 44 blast or, or 43 blast, mm-hmm. which means, uh, you know, tailback is the, the, the four back, and you go through the three hole or the four hole, which would be three hole would be the, mm-hmm. the left side B gap or four yeah. would be the right side B gap. Like, I would love that. It would be hilarious because 
You could probably do that. You could probably run that for every play, just left or right, depending on how you wanted to do it. I mean, and, and I didn't mean like break it down to the point where it's like you know exactly what play you're running every play, but like just keep it on the ground and pick up five yards. Change the gap, change the side, weak side, strong side, and yep. just move the football, Ooh. you know? And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that they kept getting stopped and Appalachian Appalachian State. What's the proper way to pronounce that word? Appalachian. Appalachian. State. Appalachian. Um, you know they have a really talented group. You know, and it's like so funny because my favorite my favorite annual pastime, guys, is when the first upset happens, and everybody goes, "Well, Ari, what do you think about that?" Like upsets don't happen. Um, and there were three on Saturday, so I got a yeah. lot of stars don't matter Co- crap coaching, on Saturday. Coaching matters too. But stars yeah. matter if you'd like to win the national title. That we but App always, State has a really, really good plan. I mean, they get yes. really good players that fit their scheme. Mm-hmm. They're super fast always. Ever since they beat Michigan, however many years Jerry ago it's Moore, been now. Yeah, Jerry Moore designed this plan yeah. over 20 years ago. Like, they've had multiple head coaches since then, but they know exactly what they're doing. What do they do? They look at, they, they have a type that they want, and they say, okay, who is fast enough to play in the SEC or the ACC, but not quite big enough. We'll take you. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then they they know what they want to be offensively. They have always known what they want to be offensively. They have an identity. Um, I'll give you a good example of how great Appalachian State's offense was over the years. When Steve Spurrier was at South Carolina, everybody thinks Steve Spurrier ran the fun and gun. And, you know, that he won the same way he won at Florida. Like, if you, ever, if you watch those games... Steve Spurrier scrapped the fun and gun after a couple of years and basically borrowed Appalachian State's offense. He won a bunch of games in South Carolina running Appalachian State's offense. It's like what it's like, you know, I'm never going to turn my back on the importance of talent, but would you rather have a very talented team that is kind of dysfunctional with what it wants to do or a underrated talented team, you know, without you well, know, guys who are developed that are, Ari, are extremely Ari, well coached? I saw, I, I saw it this weekend. Okay, because what has Kentucky been doing but being that underrated, well-coached yeah. team? But 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 the difference is they're starting to get dudes like Kentucky. And it's not just all under the radar dudes like they're beating people out for for really good players on the recruiting trail now because people realize that they can be developed there. But like Jordan Wright, the linebacker who made that incredible one handed left handed interception like that's a dude. That guy could start almost anywhere in the country. Their nose, and I'm blanking on his name right now, there was a play where he threw Florida center like five feet and made the tackle. They got dudes now at Kentucky. And so when you combine the great coaching, great scheme with dudes, that's when you start winning double-digit games. If you're a Texas A&M fan or reporter, like what do you think uh, has to be next there well, it, it, I I would say a quarterback change, probably. Yeah. Like go to go to Max, Max Johnson and give him a, give him a shot. Um, trying to get the ball into your playmaker's hands in an easier way. The thing about A and M because of who they have now, there's I, I believe their center's been out too, so they've they've had some issues. Their and, offensive and defen- line has been banged up all year. Yeah, and defensively yeah. they're banged up too. So they, they've had a lot of people out on defense. They will be getting some of those guys back for the Miami game. So I think that'll help too, but. Offensively, when you have Anaya Smith and Devon A. Chain, those are two people you can line up virtually anywhere 
and give them the ball. Like you can hand them the ball. You can throw them the ball deep. You can throw them the ball short. They can do anything. And they have shown a propensity for being, you know, high football IQ guys where you can tell them, hey, we've drawn this up in the dirt for you. They'll go do it. Well, the biggest thing is they've got to run more than 38 plays. I mean, they right. got, it was 80 to 38. I mean, you're not going to win any games. But out. the way you run more than 38 plays is you throw a swing to Devon mm-hmm. A-Chain and he makes somebody miss and it becomes a 30-yard gain. Right. Like, that's how you run more plays. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 89 yards rushing. and it, it, They have more talent than that. I, I think A&M, to me, A&M and Miami, which I think is just a perfect matchup for this year based on NIL, if nothing else, is uh, it really – You've got to have a lot of angst if you're an A&M fan, knowing how much money and time and effort you've put into this NIL and to see these kind of results in it. And as you said, the next handful of games, if they are two and four, one and five, I mean, and you've spent this much on Jimbo and there's oh, the offseason stuff with brutal. Saban, yeah. you know, three or four months ago, which feels like a million years ago, but still, man, it's uh, that's got to be as incredibly disappointing as any team in the country if you're at that point. We'll be right back after these words. Now, here's here's the thing. I don't want to. I don't want to be too negative. They have the talent to win all these games, but sure. but here's what scares you: Miami, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Alabama. All four of them have very good quarterbacks. You are going to have to score to win. Tyler Van Dyke, KJ Jefferson, Will Rogers, Bryce Young. That is a rough, rough foursome of quarterbacks to have to play in a row. You know what is so funny to me is I look back at A&M's 2021 schedule. Um, last year, they scored 10 points against Arkansas in a very similar game to the App State game. Not that mm-hmm. the upset was nearly as uh Right, because Arkansas just beat Texas. They just, yeah. They just, I mean, couldn't get a first down in that game. And then they lost to Mississippi State and only scored 20, 20, or 22 points on October 2nd last year. And then the following week scored 41 to beat Alabama. So mm-hmm. it's like it's kind of also been highly inconsistent. It's like I don't know if I'm going to you know, sit here and say that I think that Texas A&M's season, well, maybe their season is, but their, their hopes of being functional this year are completely down the tube. Oh, I, I'm not ready to bury them. I, they might yeah. be one quarterback change away from being a 10-win team. But – Here's the here's the thing that that would be frustrating to me if I'm a Texas A&M fan. Like I think going 2 and 2 in this stretch would actually be doing fairly well. It's a very hard stretch. The problem is if you're 2 and 2 in this stretch, you come out of it with three losses. Chances are you're going to drop another one and you're sitting there at 8 and 4. This was supposed to be the year that they're not 8 and 4. Like it wasn't okay, go win the SEC, go win the national title, but the 8 and 4 stuff was supposed to be behind them. And I don't think it is. No, no, not by a stretch of the imagine any stretch of the imagination. And I'm very curious too if the scheme issues continue or if this is still a discussion in October and November what this is going to mean for what they sign this year. And if it signs the number 11 class or the number 12 class or 15 and completely reverts back to what it was doing before, you know, in between 8 and 15 or whatever it was, your momentum in building what I thought they were on the way to building goes out the window. So this is a very delicate time for Jimbo Fisher in terms of, you know, I said, what do you think that they should do? And, you know, you said, you know, get the the ball in players' hands and space and try your best to turn short gains into big games by out-athleting your opponent. And I agree with all that stuff. But what does he do as a coach to, to you know, mitigate the risk of what they're facing right now? Do you, do you open yourself up to 
you know, another person helping you with the play calling? Do you, you know, make well, public? I mean, they have Daryl Dickey there to help. They have the, they have the right plays in the playbook. Like the, it's not that the playbook does not contain, you know, it's sort of like in the water boy where Henry Winkler lost his playbook. He lost the plays. The, the plays are there. Are you they on an orange spiral bound I think school it's a, notebook? I think it's a four inch binder. It's one of those really <laughs> thick binders. So they're in the playbook. It's a, it's a matter of selection of what your guys feel comfortable with and, and what they can execute more easily. Like, and that is, I hate to say it. I know I bring up Don Draper quite a bit on this, this show. That's what the money's for. Figure that out. Yeah. You know, the thing too is just, and I, I always think about this sometimes. It's just like if Haynes King won the battle and I'm not trying yeah. to come down on him as if he's the only one that's having issues right now, but what did you see in practice? Exactly. Everybody, that's, that's everybody always, you know, always says like, Hey, uh, maybe go to Connor Wegman or, or give Max Johnson a shot. It's like, well, what did we see in practice that stopped that from happening before disaster? And, I, and is I it have, worse? I have questions about that too. And that's, you know, we don't know because everybody treats it like it's it, it's Fort Knox and you can't watch practice. So we don't know what he saw. We don't know if, if Haynes King is just exceptionally better in practice than in the games, which it wouldn't be the first time that's happened to a quarterback. You know, and, and there have been quarterbacks who were not great practice players who just, when the lights turned on, were amazing. So maybe that's it. I don't know. But the thing is, you have a guy on your roster. And, and now, Wegman's a five-star guy. Everybody's very excited about him, but they're worried. About, I think they're worried about putting him in, shaking and let his me, confidence. Let me also extend early. an olive branch here, Andy and, and Scott. You guys know I missed a throw Drew Aller in. Yeah, I don't think that putting Connor Wegman into this disaster is the right thing to do. Correct. Unless but he's you absolutely... Have, you have Max Johnson... Who, yes. as insurance right. policies go, was a you know average to above average SEC quarterback. But I'll, I'll sit here all day and say I think that Drew Aller, Drew Aller should start at Penn State right now. I'll, I'll look you both in the eyes and feel good about that. So like there is a difference and there's context well, about Scott. Scott and I were perusing the message board geniuses site before you popped on Ari. Uh, is there a lot of Drew Aller stuff way, on there? If you're, if you're not following Message Board Geniuses on Twitter, it's at Board Geniuses. And basically, they just take the choicest Message Board posts, like the craziest yeah. ones you've ever seen. And, and and so this weekend was a banner weekend for them. But my favorite <laughs> yeah. one that they've posted this week is somebody from an Auburn Message Board saying that they don't think Penn State's really that much better. Or they said Sean Clifford's not really that much better than San Jose State's quarterback. By the way, well, Nick Starkle, not San Jose State's quarterback anymore. A <laughs> and M fans. Uh, I, hey, I, I, hey I don't Andy. Know. I, I yes. like Drew Aller. I, I might go <laughs> with that. I might actually agree with Ari on this one. Drew Aller is special. I think uh, Sean Clifford is average, and so Sean Clifford gets you to eight and four. Drew Aller eight and four, but he's got that chance of just being something special. Me, me and Scott, we 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 have a mind <laughs> meld. Well, there's this guy named Derek Hall that. Sean Clifford might get to know very well this weekend on the planes. And if he gets to know him a little too well, you may have to go to Drew Aller. So that that's the thing. I mean, at, at some point, just go win the game. And if I will say it right now, Penn State should beat Auburn this weekend. They should. If they don't, you might put that on the coaching staff. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I look at, uh, at Sean Clifford. I always kind of called him the Andy Dalton of the Big Ten. Uh, good, competent, 
could do, you know, last year it looked good at times. You're, you're talking about Andy Dalton, the NFL quarterback. Yes. Andy Dalton, yes. the CCU quarterback, was, <laughs> was amazing. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals version of Andy Dalton. Gotcha. Not, not gotcha. even post that. No, yeah. TCU, he was great. You know, won the Rose Bowl and everything. No, I think he's just, he's a good quarterback. He can do the, some things. He would be amazing where I live right now. But, um, <laughs> you know. Are all I, the quarterbacks that we're making fun of, with, not making fun of, criticizing, discussing, uh would they just be the without question starter in Iowa? <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. Well, there'll be a new starter this weekend. It hasn't been officially announced, but there will be. Yeah. So Alex Padilla, you know, because I mean, in 10 games, they've thrown three last 10 games. They've thrown three touchdown passes. He has two of them, but he only started three times last year. So I think it's I was going to say, we saw him last year when, when yeah. Spencer was hurt. So it's, it, the the offense doesn't really change. This is not one of those where you prepare for two quarterbacks and and you have to really change your defense around. It it's the same. Yeah, he can move a little bit. <laughs> That's the difference. He's four inches shorter and and probably runs a sub five forty, unlike the other one. So yeah, I would expect that. But no, I I would think Drew Aller would be. It'd be interesting to see him on the planes. That might be the wrong spot to start him. But I would say maybe the next week. Well, I would, maybe you I don't have to start that. him. Maybe you just need him. And and that that'll be interesting. And I I don't know what Auburn's gonna be. Auburn, boy, Auburn needed some time to get going against San Jose State. That was an ugly first half for Auburn. And you know they should have been able to run through that team. Like Tank Tank Bigsby should have been able to average like nine yards a carry against against that team. So uh, Penn State is going to be a very big challenge for Auburn this weekend. And they can they uh, they outlasted Purdue in that opener. I thought that was a very competitive, close game. Obviously, went both ways. And they do have enough athletes that they can match up with an SEC team on the field. And I think their defense is pretty good. So I think I think Penn State should win that. Uh, but to to where they get to get where they want to be, because this will be the last year of divisions for the Big Ten. Because it sounds like next year they'll go to a to open division format uh, that, you know, they're not going to be able to beat Michigan and and Ohio state with Sean Clifford. I just don't see him being that good. Well, I don't think he has another year, so I don't, I don't think that's going to be an issue, but guys, it, it, this is going to be just an angst filled week because Scott, you're getting it every week. My guess is it's going to continue for you. Mm -hmm. The A&M thing can be, there, there are changes that could be made, I, I think, that could pull them out of this. But we could be having a very serious conversation about AM if Miami goes in there. And look, you're, I think you're going to have to score points to beat Miami. I, I, Van Dyke is a very good quarterback. Yeah, you might need to get at least the high 20s at, at minimum. You might need yeah. to be in 30, 31. And, uh, and so to be able to beat a team like that, you're going to have to score. Is, well, I mean, if you're Max Johnson, what are you, what are you thinking now? I mean, you're frustrated you're because you're like, I've played in these games and won these games. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? Like, I've, I went to the swamp and won in my first start. You know, I, I went, I, I beat A&M to end mm-hmm. last season. I, I went to Alabama and we didn't win, but it wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. I played pretty well. So, yeah, I, I think, I think if you're Max Johnson, you're you're fairly frustrated. And it, but it, the thing about A and M, and this is why it's more hopeful than Iowa, is it may be as simple as that. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that we haven't discussed, and we we kind of touched on it, but we haven't really taken a dive into it, and I want to, is if Evan Stewart is retweeting that and saying things without saying things publicly, 
there has to be a fear of people being disgruntled in the locker room, which I think is more concerning than what happened on the field almost. Right. And this is the era when they can transfer and play somewhere else. Anytime they want. Yep. So, And everybody made all the jokes in the world, Andy and Scott, about, well, it's great that they signed all these guys, but they're all going to transfer in a year anyway, so who cares? It's like, are they going to transfer? Well, here's the thing. You can't be real mad at Evan Stewart for retweeting that. You may want to go in and have a talk with Evan Stewart and say, you know, probably doesn't help when you do that, but maybe would let's talk about this. What yeah. what would make it easier? Is that how you handle it if you're the coach? It's how you handle it in 2022. It's not how you handle it in 2012, yeah. but it's how you yeah. better handle it in 2022. Yeah. Yeah, because they can't. You, you can't make them sit out. You can't restrict them for where they want to go. So if you have an Evan Stewart that gets mad and then eventually says, "All right, I'm out of here," he and could be oh, a. Oh, by the way, team. you you need Evan Stewart now. Like you need Evan yeah. Stewart this week. So also, Evan Stewart could transfer somewhere that they don't want him to transfer to. Right. If you right. know what I'm talking about. Well, exactly. <laughs> there's and, a, and there's a can, school a little bit uh, west from there. Exactly. And the thing is, he could transfer to Texas easily. The SEC has that rule where you, you got to put your name in the portal by February first if you want to if you want to go within the league. He could be at Texas so, by sundown. So, but but Texas is not in the SEC yet, so he yep. could go to Texas easily with no problem. And that's complete speculation, but he it's could just go exactly to Alabama if he wanted to. He could go to USC if he wants to. Yeah. So, yeah, you better figure out a way to keep these guys. And that kid's a stud. These, keep these guys happy is probably the wrong way to say it because you can't. You can't coddle them. That's not going to work either. But there's a happy medium between you know being what it dictatorial is? and not listening to anybody, what, it, what, what, what the players have to say. You know what it is? It's giving a shit coddling. what they think. Yes. <laughs> I That's think all it right. is. Yeah. No question. It used to be big me, little you. I'm the general. You're the foot soldier. You do what I say or I'll, I'll make your career hell. Or, you know, you'll get benched for three weeks and then nobody will want to pick you up. Now... You can just bolt after bolt now, and you'll have a, a waiting list of, of teams. Well, and that that's the thing that we we've talked about this on the show a few times, Ari. The coaches who seem temp, their temperament seems better for the transfer portal era. Like Matt Campbell seems mm-hmm. like an ideal transfer portal era coach. Like he doesn't lose guys to the portal who are playing. If you if you have a role on Iowa State's team, you stay at Iowa State because you like playing for Matt Campbell. Like. That matters so much more now than it used to. And you know what I was thinking about before the LSU Florida State game a few weeks ago? I was thinking, is there a bigger uh, difference between the coach that a lot of the players on that team signed up to play for and the current coach that came in after the fact? 100%. And it's just kind of like you have to have an environment or foster an environment that allows players to express themselves especially during a time in which they might not have signed up for the personality now, now type. Brian, Brian Kelly might not want the, the ones who signed up to play for the other guy. And but they that's want great. to flip the roster. But, but you it's, it's going to be ugly at first. Yeah, there's, but there's going to be a lot of change, necessary change when it comes to it because recruits talk about relationships all the time in the recruiting process. Who do you have the best relationship with? Who do you get along with the most? And I feel like there's a there's some aspect of it 
that is never talked about at all, but is vitally important. And that is, do you like the personality or the coaching style of the person running the show? It doesn't mean that they called you the most or that they come over and have mom's chicken or whatever it is that we like to tell ourselves about in-home visits. It's about whether or not you could go play there and will respond positively to the way that they handle situations. And that doesn't mean you have to be like a soft players coach. Like no, certain players no. don't want that. I remember talking to Jonathan Allen about his recruiting process. He played at Alabama yeah. and he, he's the type, like he does not like compliments. So all these coaches come in and butter him up and he hated it. He was so uncomfortable. So when Nick Saban comes in and goes, we'll give you a chance to play like anybody else. He's like, yep, that's what I want. And you had, a. Uh, I saw Seth Emerson, our Georgia beat writer, tweeted out Cedric Van Pan Granger, the or Van Pran Granger, the uh, the center at Georgia, said today in interviews like the the theme for Georgia this season is nobody cares about your feelings. Like, if that is the type of attitude you want, you should be playing at Georgia. Like that's the perfect attitude for a Kirby Smart player. Somebody else might not like that. That that might not be their preferred method. But there are a lot of football players. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I see it all the time up in the upper Midwest. I mean, you know, you've got to need a, you need a certain personality to go play at, at Wisconsin or mm-hmm. at Iowa and be successful. You've got to enjoy that. And, and both programs coach you really hard and they don't like having smoke blown up their rear ends. Now, yep. now PJ is a different breed of cat when it comes to mm-hmm. just about everything, but certainly in recruiting, he is the complete opposite of everybody else, and it drives everybody crazy. But some respond to him, so mm-hmm. it's but though so, so there's different styles for different people, and you can have similar results. So I, I do agree that I, but, I, I think I think you. But have that to even be, goes yeah. for the for the best coaches in America too. Yeah. yeah, some people might not like Nick Saban's demanding, yeah, you know, personality. Yeah, some and, might and rather go play for somebody's more late. And, and there's five stars that Alabama will be like, I don't know if you're the right fit for us. And the five stars are like, Yeah, I'm probably not. Yeah, like, and and so I I think right now the the most important thing is just be honest. Like I mentioned, Matt Campbell, players love playing for him because they feel like he'll shoot them straight, not because he's the most complimentary or the the easiest on them. Sam Pittman at Arkansas is another great example of that. Players believe what he says because he backs up what he says. And if you're the kind of coach who doesn't do that, who makes promises in recruiting and then takes, takes them back when the player gets on campus, you're going to lose everyone through the portal and you're not going to last long. The worst thing to be in this business is fake because players see right through you. This is a tough sport. It's physically demanding. Everybody gets hurt. Everybody practically has surgeries. They Mm. just want to be shot straight. You know, yep. tell tell me I suck. Tell me what I could do differently. Now, some people respond differently to somebody getting in their face and yelling yeah. at them versus, come on, we could do a better job. Well, it's, it's, it's like on Hard Knocks the other night. Yeah. It, the last episode of Hard Knocks is always the, the cut down day yeah. and all that. And they they had the guy who's in there in the meeting with Dan Campbell and he's getting cut and he goes, guys, what could I have done differently? This is the player asking the coaches this. Yeah. And Dan Campbell's like, nothing. You did everything right. You maximized your talent. And that's Dan Campbell, yeah. who played a lot of season in the NFL, who got cut, who understands how that process works, going, son, you did everything right. You you are just not physically talented enough to have a job in the NFL, and that's okay. Like, And I, get, I guarantee you that guy respects Dan Campbell a lot more for telling him that. And it might have been the hardest night of his life. 
Exactly. Yes. For Dan Campbell, you mean? No, for yeah. the person who said that oh, yeah. whoever he was talking to had to oh, take the dose of reality of like, hey, I can't do this. It's it's brutal. It is absolutely brutal. But at least somebody's telling him not not lying to him. And and I think that's the that's the key now in college football is you have to be pretty truthful from the moment you meet them in high school. Well, back in the old days, too, and the old days meaning three years ago. <laughs> right. There was something to gain from it. Like being uh not being genuine or not authentic, you could convince yourself of saying, hey, we'll get these guys in the program and then they're trapped. Now it's like, what's the point? You're going to lie to somebody, make them feel special, and then they get there and then they realize that they're they, this isn't what they signed up for and then just bounce. Like yeah. there's nothing to even gain from it from the beginning. All you're doing is wasting everyone's time and money. Yeah. So like just, you know, go from it. And, and I think that's one positive to, to the transfer rule is that in high school, people have less to gain by not being honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's like happy Gilmore, you know, when you get grandma in there and it's like, you can have a warm glass and shut the hell up. You're just talking about that, Andy. (laughs) Oh yeah. Your back hurts. Well, now your finger's going to hurt because you just pulled landscaping duty. You're in my world now, grandma. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, you know who will always be honest and will always shoot you straight? The cast of the Andy Staple show and friends. We will never lie to you. We will always tell you exactly what we think including the great scott doctorman who does not give a crap if that guy watches the iowa rutgers game or not really (laughs) men it's been a pleasure for those listening we got a big week ahead you got power hour with nicole Auerbach. you got football and grits the sec podcast with brody miller and david ubbin you got sam and max you got stars matter with Ari and Mitch, and a bonus episode this week that will only be appearing in the feed this week because it'll go to its regular home if you want to hear it next week. I am starting a draft podcast called Prospects to Pros with Dane Brugler, the Mm. Athletics Draft Guy, and I cannot be more excited. We're recording the first episode on Tuesday. It'll be out Wednesday. We're going to drop the whole episode in the Andy Staple Show and Friends feed, but normally it will appear in the athletic football show feed, which is our NFL feed. So if you want to hear more, you can go over there. And obviously, honestly, if you're not already subscribed to the athletic football show, do it now. I know a ton of you watch the NFL as well, love the NFL. You want to hear Robert Mays, Nate Tice, all those folks talking about the NFL. It's a lot of fun. So Dane and I will be every Wednesday talking about the guys that are up next to be high draft picks and it's going to be fun. I don't know if it'll be as fun as Scott Doctorman telling people he doesn't give a crap if they watch the Iowa Rutgers game, but it's close. Thanks for listening.